I'm going to spend the morning reminding us. Can I do that? I want to spend the morning telling you things you already know. (laughs) One of the divines said, it's not revelation of new truth we need nearly as much as we need reminding of the things we already know. So, it's probably been on the screen already, I think it has, but if you're following in your Bible or you're following on the Bible app, Ephesians chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 10, those are two to bookmark. And in between there, I'm going to squeeze a few verses from Matthew chapter 28. So if you get those three addresses in, you're going to be good for the morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, our prayer this morning is very simple. We ask for your anointing. We ask for an anointing on this place, on this property, on every program and every ministry that is represented here. We pray an anointing on the people. We pray an an anointing on the presentation of the gospel and the, the one who presents. And we pray an anointing on all that happens here today, that your Holy Spirit might have free course in every heart and in every soul. We pray all this because we want to see your purpose and we want to see your product and we want it all to be for your praise. So we pray this with humble hearts and with thankful hearts and we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. God bless you. This is going to date you a little bit or age you, so I'm going to ask the question anyway. How many of you, if you're TV watchers or ever were, how many of you remember the comedian Flip Wilson? Oh, I'm surprised there's that many. Wow. (laughs) If you don't know him, that's fine. He was a groundbreaking uh, African-American comedian. Uh, His show ran a little over four years in the early 70s, and for that reason, some of you don't remember, he created many memorable characters in his show. He had different ones, and I'm not going to name them other than Geraldine, but there were different ones that he mentioned, and one was a pastor. He was the pastor of the church of the What's Happening Now, and uh, boy, he could really preach. He did a skit one time of... um, He did several around that church of what's happening now, but uh, he did one skit where he told about how the pastor presented himself, and the pastor would shout, if this church is going to serve God, it's got to get down on its knees and crawl. And the audience would yell back, make it crawl, preacher, make it crawl. And I can just picture that scenario. I remember that, that skit so well. And once this church has learned to crawl, it's got to get up on its feet and walk. And then the audience all said, make it walk, preacher, make it walk. And once this church has learned to walk, it's got to learn to run. Make it run, preacher, make it run. And in order to run, it's got to reach deep down into pockets and learn to give. Make her crawl, preacher. Make her crawl. (laughs) Sadly, thank you for that response, because I really wondered 
trying to bring that off, if anybody would even see the humor in it, but I still do. But then I thought, isn't it sad that that is what many, I was going to say most, but many people think about churches today. Oh, church, don't start with me. All they ever want and all they ever talk about is You've been to those churches too, huh? Now let me tell you something in their defense. Nothing could be further from the truth. And I will say this, just as Pastor Todd said a few minutes ago, the local church cannot function without money. You only have to look around or just be involved for a week and you can tell that it's just like your household couldn't function without money. The local church can't function without money. But that's not why I'm here to talk about what I'm here to talk about today. That is not why the church exists, to see how much money it can get or make or extract or whatever. No. Now, I want to share with you this morning why you and I, number one, this is an old message, if you want to take it that way, should come to church. And preachers have been preaching on that for years and years. But I want to also emphasize why you and I should connect ourselves to a local church. And I think that will be that will be a great starter for us and a great reminder. So our first scripture this morning, and you're going to find this hard, but the first scripture this morning is going to come from Ephesians chapter 5. And you're, going to, you're, you're thinking, well, that must be wrong because Ephesians chapter 5 is about honoring and respecting one another, and it's mostly about marriage. It's mostly about husbands and wives. Wrong. Paul is giving us instruction about the relationship between a husband and a wife, we usually see that this is the text that's used for that, and that's all it's used for, for most preachers. But don't stop there. Don't just let that be all there is in Ephesians chapter 5. If you read carefully, you will see that the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church is also laid out for us in Ephesians chapter 5. So I'm going to ask that we open to Ephesians 5, start at verse 25, so go all the way down to 25, and we're going to read about eight verses, and uh, I'd love it if you'd read along with me. I've chosen the the NLT to read from. It's one of my favorite uh, versions for reading and for taking it in as I read, so if we could read together, that would be great, and we'll all be reading from the same words and verbiage and getting the same uh, we'll get in the same meanings, hopefully. So, for husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up the, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies, for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. 
This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Question. Why should we love being one with the church? Well, here's the first reason, if you're note-taking. Because Jesus loves the church. If there were no other reason, we could stop there, really, and say, we've had enough, and we follow this very well. In verse 25, remember it said, that verse we started with, for husbands, it means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Jesus loved the church so much that he died for the church. The Bible describes the church as the bride of Christ. Keep that in mind. From the Gospels all the way through to the Revelation, the church is portrayed as the bride of Christ with Jesus as the bridegroom. The Apostle Paul writes that Jesus loves his church so much that he gave his life for her. And we hear that theme over and over in the New Testament. Jesus died for us individually. Jesus died for you individually. And Jesus died for me individually. But he also died for the church collectively. That's how much he loves his church. You see, the church is made up of individuals who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we should love the church. That's the gathering of believers. Why? Because Jesus loves us. Jesus didn't die so that we could go around saying, yes, I believe Jesus uh, died for me. I accept this free gift of salvation. It's wonderful. And now I'm going to sit on the sidelines for the rest of my life. Uh, it's not how it works. Jesus died with the intention of his followers banding together to grow his church. The last thing that Jesus said to his own disciples is recorded in Matthew 28. The church was so important to him that the last command he gave us was to grow his church, to gather together, to teach and be taught on how to live this Christian life. Let's look at that Matthew 28, which I said we were going to kind of slide in between the two other passages. In Matthew 28, going down to verse 18 and the last three verses of that chapter, here's what we read, and you see it on the screen before you. Please feel free to join me as I read. Jesus came and told his disciples, go ahead and read, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end. Good. Thank you. You're reading so well. Thank you. I think when we read it together, it gets in there, and it stays, and it starts to imprint, and it makes a real impression on us. Jesus said, tell them about me, and then teach them. Tell them, and teach them. i got to say this. Many times, churches get caught up in the tell so much that they don't place just as much emphasis on the teach. Tell them about Jesus and then teach them about Jesus and how to live the Christian life. 
Now, the church is the mechanism, if I can be bold and use that word, that God created to accomplish the Great Commission, or as we call it here, the Everyday Commission. Christ loved the church, I think you've heard me say this before, so much that he died for her. Christ loved the church so much that he died for her. Finish the statement. Christ loved the church so much. You know, and the reason I had you do that, there is always a danger of being at church, but not being in church. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever been in church and not really been there? Now, there's not one, but there are many, many secrets to a long, happy marriage. Barbara and I are four months away from 52 years of marriage. Uh, that's okay for you to say. <laughs> I, know. I believe the, mo the most important one <clears throat> is how you respect and treat each other. And there are a lot of secrets to marriage. Why? Because there are a lot of different trails. There are a lot of different paths, right? There are a lot of different crossroads. There are a lot of different bumps, a lot of different washouts, a lot of different, this is the end of the world scenarios. But you know what? The number one secret to a long relationship and a happy one is to first off respect and treat each other properly. You commit yourself in that marriage to the happiness of your husband or your wife. That's actually what Paul's telling husbands and wives in the scripture in Ephesians 5. He's saying, wives, commit yourself to your husband. And he's saying, husbands, commit yourself to your wife. How? Just as Christ commits himself to the church. You see, Jesus gave everything for the church. And you have to keep that in mind. The church, his bride, he loves the church. But did I already mention that? Jesus loved the church so much, can you finish the sentence? That he... So if we say we love Jesus, that's kind of what we say when we are born again and have accepted Christ and have taken on the new life and what a great thing that is. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus, you remember, in John chapter 3. But if we say that we love Jesus, then he should be the center of our life. He isn't on the periphery. He isn't there when everything else is looked after. He isn't just something you think of, oh, it's Sunday, we ought... No, he ought to be at the center of our lives. And, and I fear sometimes that that may not be true, not just of some people, but probably of all of us. We have to think this through. So the church, and let me just say this, Jesus has done everything and is still doing everything to fulfill his part of this relationship. He died for the church. He continues to empower the church. He loves the church. I mean, what more, what more could we ask him to do? He teaches us how to live the life. He stays with us. He encourages us. He's done his part, and he continues to do his part. And are we doing ours? What is our part? 
It's to make him happy through serving him. It's to make him happy by being part of his church and serving others through that church. In Ephesians 5, verses 31 and 2, those last two verses we read, it really sums up Jesus' love for his church. This is a great mystery. Or, or uh, 31 says, as the uh, scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And then in 32, Paul says, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Some still ask, why church? I have good friends who say, hey, uh, uh, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, I don't need church. Why church? Because Jesus loves this church. If there was no other reason, that'd be a great reason. And if we're followers of Jesus, we as the church will love him. We will please him. We will make him happy. And we will be the kind of member of that body that will make that body grow and go. The writer of the Hebrews comes home on this. In the uh, 10th chapter of Hebrews, which we're going to look at in a few moments, he, he just nails it. And uh, I, I want to spend a little time here because uh, I think this is where some people get off the track. Uh, he talks about, uh, and he gives us another reason why we should be happy supporting our local church and being part of our church and being in our church, not just at our church. If you went to the 10th chapter of Hebrews, we're going to go down to verse uh, 23. We're only going to do three verses, and I think we can read these together too, and it'll really help accentuate the thought here. Let's read. Let us hold tightly without wavering, for God can be trusted. For God can be trusted. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love. Mm-hmm who love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, say it again, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is... Hmm. Here's the writer of the Hebrews saying that we shouldn't neglect our meeting together. Maybe they had the same problem then that churches have now I don't know he says let's not neglect our meeting together as some do I wonder if they had the same excuses that we have today for not coming to church Uh, uh, one pastor wrote this he said I'm thinking about having a no excuse Sunday so that everyone can come to church (laughs) years ago in another church in another place we had a someday Sunday because so many people that I invited, we all did, invited the church, said, oh, someday, I'll come someday. So we had these buttons made up, someday Sunday. And we had a someday, well, someday's here, so I guess you'll be in church. And we had quite a few people respond to that, and some thought we were nuttier than they already thought we were. So this pastor said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send out notices all over the community that it's going to be a no-excuse Sunday. On the notice, it's going to say, cots will be placed in the foyer for those who say Sunday is my only day to sleep in. 
there'll be a special section with lounge chairs for those who feel that our seats or pews are too hard. Eye drops will be available for those with tired eyes from watching television late Saturday night. We will also have steel helmets for those who say, hey man, the roof will cave in if I ever come to church. Blankets will be furnished for those who think the church is too cold and fans for those who say it is too hot. Scorecards will be available for those who wish to list the hypocrites present. That'd be a good place to jump off. On hypocrites, let me first say this. Everyone in church is a sinner. Everyone in church is a sinner. But not everyone is a hypocrite. Everyone in church is a sinner. But not everyone is a hypocrite. How hard is it to be the real me and the real you at all times? How hard is it to be our best selves at all times? I was fascinated by the story of a man by the name of Frank Abagnale Jr., his story was told, uh, after a book came out, his story was told by Steven uh, Spielberg, and then uh, the movie came out entitled, Catch Me If You Can. How many of you know that movie? Okay. Before the ni his 19th birthday, Frank Abagnale Jr. had successfully performed con jobs worth millions of dollars by posting as a, first a Pan Am airline pilot, then a Georgia doctor, then a Louisiana parish prosecutor. His primary crime was check fraud. And he became so skillful that the FBI, nice honest organization, later employed him to help in catching other check forgers. Frank Abagnale Jr. was a real life pretender. Or another description of him, we might use the word hypocrite. By definition, a hypocrite is an insincere person, one who pretends to be what he is not. Thank you, Mr. Webster. The word hypocrite comes from a Greek word that literally means one who hides behind a mask. Let me give you the background. You see, in the ancient days, in ancient theater, Actors often played multiple roles, multiple parts, and they wore different masks for each part. And that went with whatever part they were playing at the time was the mask that they wore. Spiritually speaking, we would say that a hypocrite is a person who pretends to have beliefs or practices or positions which he or she doesn't actually possess. He says he does, or she says that she does, but they don't. In other words, a hypocrite is someone who not only does not practice what he or she preaches, but is a person who actually does the opposite of what he or she preaches. Let's get back to the, let's get back to the notice on the No Excuse Sunday. The pastor said we will distribute, uh, take away the tithe buttons for those that feel the church is always asking for money. One section will be devoted to trees and grass for those who like to see God in nature. 
Doctors and nurses will be in attendance for those who plan to be sick on Sunday. And the sanctuary will be decorated with both Christmas poinsettias and Easter lilies for those who have never seen the church without them. You're laughing, but there are many, 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 many excuses that people use who call themselves Christians for not coming to church. And as a pastor of a year or two, I can tell you, I think, I believe, but I'm not positive, that I've heard all of them. The one that I hear more often now in modern-day society used to be, oh, I'm so busy. And then we dispel that one. And now I hear a one-word excuse. Circumstances. You wouldn't understand. Circumstances. I heard a phenomenal statement. It's not on the screen, but you really need to put it in your notes. You really need to get this written indelibly on your, the screen of your mind and across your heart. Our circumstances shouldn't change our theology. Everybody lives their life with circumstances. Everybody has circumstances. But why do we change what we believe and why do we change our outlook on God and why do we change even our faith and our trust just because of circumstances. Our circumstances shouldn't change our theology. Hmm. God tells us through the writer of Hebrews that we're to share with others the love of God. We're, we're to think of ways to motivate each other to perform acts of love and good works in the name of Jesus. We do that through the church. We're here for each other. We're here to love God and to love each other. You say, well, that's not why I come to church. I just come to get my, you know, get my own cup full and, and to get out of the stress of life, and then I'm out of here. No, we are here to lift and to love and to lighten one another. And when we do... We please God. And when we do, we encourage that other person. And when we encourage the other person, we help ourselves. It's just the way it goes. It's just the way it happens. And you'll find the happiest people are those who are giving, those who are putting themselves out, those who are emptying themselves into other people and being a blessing all the way around. Some years ago in, in the fall of the year, probably this time of year or just maybe a month or so later, there was a young lady by the name of Linda. I don't need to go into any more details. Uh, and she was, she was traveling uh, al alone uh, in, a very <laughs> in a very tough area uh, of northern Canada. The rutted, rugged highways from northern Alberta to the Yukon. And if you've never been in that part of the world, you never understand wh how, what kind of it's, everything's different there. The, the geography, the weather, the, all the conditions and the seasons. She didn't know that you don't travel to Whitehorse, Yukon alone. 
in a rundown Honda Civic, with all due respect to you Civic owners, so she set off where only four-wheel drives would ever normally venture. The first evening, she, she found a room in a, in a mountain, uh, in a, in a, near a summit, in a, in a rooming house or something, and she asked the people for a 5 a.m. wake-up so she could get an early start. That proof right there, she didn't know what she was doing because she couldn't understand, as she couldn't understand why the lady at the desk looked at her so surprised at that request. But when she woke up in the morning at around 5 o'clock, she saw the early morning fog shroud over the mountaintops and she understood, I'm not going anywhere for quite a little while. And if you've never again been in those mountainous areas like that, you wouldn't understand that. But she wasn't going anywhere at 5 a.m., so not wanting to look real foolish, she got up anyway, and she went to breakfast. Two big-time, over-the-road hauler truckers were there having breakfast, and they invited Linda to join them. There wasn't much place uh, to sit down anyway. It was so small. So she felt obliged, and she came to their table, and she sat down. And one of them said, so, uh, young lady, where are you headed? I'm headed to Whitehorse. And he said, in that little Civic? No way. This pass is dangerous in weather like this. Well, she said, I'm determined to try anyway. She was gutsy. She wasn't very informed, but she was gutsy. Then the trucker said, well, I guess we're just going to have to hug you. And she drew back and said, there's no way that I'm going to let you touch me. No, 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 not like that, the trucker said. We'll put one truck in front of you and one in the rear, and in that way, we'll get you through the mountains. All that foggy morning, Linda followed the two red dots in front of her and had the reassurance of a big escort behind. And they made their way safely through the mountains, and on she went. To Whitehorse. That's what the church is for, folks. We do a lot of hugging in this church, and I think we ought to have a new definition that when you are hugged, it means you've got support in front of you. And we've got your back. We need to show the way like the truck in front and be there in case we lose our way to help us get back on the right track. Someone brought this to my attention and I'm going to share it with you. It just, it's just so true. And it's something you've probably never heard from a pulpit before, but I'm going to say it anyway. And I think everybody needs to hear this. It's a truth. Church can be hard. It can be hard for some folks at some times. Church can be hard for the person walking through those doors who's afraid of judgment. Because that's the number one activity of most Christians. 
Come on, let's put ourselves where we are. Let's forget the hypocrisy, and let's be honest. I'm not saying everybody. I'm not pointing at anybody. Church can be hard for the prodigal soul who's returning home broken and battered by this whole world and its system. It's not easy, I can tell you. Church can be hard for the person who looks like he or she has it all together, but doesn't. Church can be hard for the couple who argued the entire ride to this service. Or who sit together like they just came right, dropped out of heaven. They argue all the way home, slam the door, and all hell breaks loose. Come on, let's be honest. Church can be hard for the single parent, surrounded by couples holding hands and seemingly doing great. Church can be hard for the widower, widower, with no invitation to lunch after church. Church can be hard for the person singing worship songs, but overwhelmed by the weight of the lyrics. Church can be hard for the pastor's family, under the constant microscope of an entire body. Church can be hard for a single man or woman, praying for God to bring him or her a mate to do life with. And perhaps to have children to love as well. Church can be hard for anyone, everyone, everyone at certain times or seasons of life. Church can actually look shiny and bright on the outside, but underneath all the layers, as we peel the onion, one might find a body of imperfect people. Some carnal souls. A touch of hypocrisy and even some selfish motives. Can church sometimes be hard on you? It sure can be hard on me. <laughs> but here's the beauty of church church isn't a building, church isn't a mentality, church isn't an expectation. Church is a body. It's a group of believers. It's a group of sinners. Saved by God's wonderful grace. Living in fellowship as the children of God. It's a body of believers no better than anybody else, bound together as brothers and sisters by an eternal and perfect love of God. This is almost, it's like a, a holy ground where sinners stand as equals before the throne of grace. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Sometimes church is hard for me. Because church is a refuge for broken hearts. It's a lesson in faith and trust. It's a bearer of burdens. It's a giver of hope. 
Folks, church is a family. Huh? Huh? Coming together. Hold on. Setting aside differences. Setting aside differences. Not getting any amens now. Setting aside. No, 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 no. That's the hardest place to set aside your differences is in the family context. So I'm going to start again. Church is a family. Coming together. You're, doing, you're on a roll now, preacher. Setting aside differences. Forgetting past mistakes. Past mistakes. Well, I like you, but you did... Can't we live in a moment? So church is a family coming together, setting aside differences, forgetting past mistakes, and rejoicing in the spiritual growth of each other, whether it's minuscule or major, it matters not. So the church as a body, I'm talking about this circle of sinners turned saints, is where God wants to reside, and he said so in his word. Even when church is hard for you, like when you are at odds with a friend. See, if you and I are in here right now, and we're, either one of us, at odds with even one person in here, our worship of God is nullified. Our connection is cut off. We need to make that right before anything else happens. So if you're at odds with a friend, or you've been bearing burdens that are heavier than your heart can handle, and even doing it with a smile on your face, or if you feel like you're wearing the pressures of the whole world right here, or you fought back tears at the lyrics of some worship song, or you've just walked back in afraid and broken after walking away, it is then that you, my friend, will remember this. And this is the beauty of the story. That God has never failed to meet you in this setting, the church, as a body, whether it's here or wherever it might be. You're sitting there, some of you, and you say, I'm trying to take notes, and I, you always give me your title and your text and so on. I have saved my title instead of having it at the start. I'm preaching backwards today, and I'm going to end with my title. And if I'd have had time, I'd have made a big sign, and I'd have put it right out here in front of the podium, or even stuck it out on the highway. And it would have said three words. Sinners, welcome here! Aren't you glad? Where would you be? Still out in the highway trying to figure out what that sign meant. 
sinners welcome here. I thought the roof would come off when I said that, but I guess you don't see it my way. I know that churches have flaws. I know I've been in one for, oh, a long time. Well, I said that because I don't know if the numbers go that high, but I've been there a long time, since I was about four years old. And that's at least 40 years. Oh, yeah, now you're alive. Yep, yep, now you came to. Yep. Can't say amen, but you can laugh at the preacher. I know that churches have flaws because they're inhabited by humans. When I first started in education, I used to say, this would be a perfect school if it wasn't for those kids. And the longer I got in there, more and more experience, I used to say, this would be a perfect school if it wasn't for those parents. Well, this would be a perfect church if it wasn't for the people who are part of it. We have flaws. Because every church is inhabited by humans. Yeah. But you know what? Sinners welcome here. Huh? I'm so glad. I'm so glad that in the body of Christ, in the body of believers, in the church, as Ephesians 5 says, that Jesus gave himself for and died for, that in that church, sinners are welcome. Matter of fact, sinners are the reason he died. <laughs> I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So while we are Christians and we like to call ourselves that, and that's fine. The word Christian is not translated in other, any other language perfect. doesn't mean perfect. It means forgiven. It means I'm a Christ follower and learner. It means Christ, I-A-N, Christ, I am nothing. We're not perfect. There is a perfect church. It's in heaven. It's not here on earth. It's not here on earth. It's not, a, it, 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 you, you know, you're looking for the sweet by and by while we live in the nasty now and now. So we have flaws in the church. Why? Because humans are in it. And there's no perfect church because there's no perfect human. The perfect church is in heaven. But even if we get this, we'll just, I'll just quit drilling here. Even with all its human flaws, the church... I'll say it one last time, the Bride of Christ is still the entity that Jesus Christ died for. Beloved, we are the vehicle that God uses to expand His kingdom. What 
a privilege. What a privilege. And yes, we fully realize that while we are imperfect, we serve a perfect God who died for his church. Sinners, welcome here. Say, well, I'm not a sinner now. I'm a Christian. I'll tell you what I am. I'm an old-fashioned sinner saved by the old-fashioned grace of God Almighty. You can call yourself anything you want. But I know where I've come from. I know who lifted me up. I know who put my feet on the rock. I know who put in my heart and in my soul a song. And I know upon whom my faith is grounded. And I want to tell you something else about that. Not only do I know him, not only do I proclaim him, not only am I pleased to serve him, but one day soon I will stand in his presence and be part of the perfect church. Because sinners are welcome. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray as well. Don't just be a listener, but be be involved. Be a participant. And the uh, worship team and friends can start making their way here. But let's bow in prayer and let's ask God to bring home this message in a real way, a living way. So, Heavenly Father, as we think of all that you've given us in your word, and as we think of <clears throat> we think of what we've learned, even just from these few verses of Scripture from Paul and from Matthew's writings, and certainly from the writer of the Hebrews, so much has been left with us to strengthen us as members of your body and to lift us up to serve you to give you glory, give you praise. You're the only one that deserves that. Yeah, it's, it's an imperfect church. It's an imperfect plan even. But it brings perfect results. It brings eternal results. It's, it's, we're commissioned, Lord, to, to do your bidding and to represent you. God, that's, that's a tough task too. People say, well, I know who you really are, and I know what you really are. Lord, help us not to be hypocrites, but help us to have what we say we have, to be who we say we are, and to do what you call us to do. And Lord, may this message ring true. May it resonate, and may we be brought back without excuses to that place where you want us to be the place of servitude, the place of giving over to you, the place of saying, Lord, if it's going to be done, you do it. In that place of full reliance and faith and trust in you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
that in your body and in your church, sinners are always welcome. When that last sinner comes home and you say, welcome home, Lord, some great things are going to happen. We look forward to that. And in the meantime, we praise you and lift you up in Jesus' name.